I try to walk the streets every day and pray over New York City. The other day while I was walking the streets here and praying over our city, the number one smell on the street is no longer the hot dog vendor or pretzels or the caramelized nut vendor. But I want to be real clear. The number one odor on the streets of New York is really cannabis. It's, it's, it's weed. It's marijuana that is just flooding the streets of New York. It's through Central Park. I watch hotel and retail workers taking breaks, um, smoking it. Young people next to my apartment. With its legalization that is happening in our country, the odor is everywhere. Almost half of America has legalized it, and it's coming, I'm telling you, to all 50 states. And as I started praying for our city, I saw what's ahead when what happened and what happens when God is no longer in charge and no one has any more answers except legalization. Listen carefully. There is going to be no more beds available, I'm telling you, in teen challenges across America in the next two to three years, in, in recovery clinics, and especially teen challenge. The addiction to drugs is going to be staggering. And what is coming to every major city and state in America, I believe, is an addiction epidemic. That legalization has invited an addiction epidemic. It's, it, is, it is being made that is, it, it, is, it is going to make sin and bondage, I believe, as I prayed over the city, accelerate exponentially, not just in our city, but in city and cities across America nationwide. But I have to tell you today, this is a message of hope. And there is hope because of what Romans 5.20 says. Here's what it says. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Hallelujah. See, when that grace abounds, the church, I believe, is going to be the for, in the forefront of these new addicts, these, these people that have just literally come to dead ends coming through the doors of the church. I think just like the New York City that David Wilkerson, the founder of Times Square Church, came to in the 50s and the 60s, we are going to see this become that again in the, in the, in the 2020s. When these young converts in the 50s and 60s started entering the church, the church was horrified and didn't even know what to do with them and didn't even know how to respond to what God was doing. The new believers coming into the church will come, I believe, from the darkest places, but are going to be greatly used by God in the coming years ahead. The churches, listen carefully, that are not preparing will not be ready for what God is going to do by way of salvations that are coming. What must we do to get ready for this new harvest? Here it is. The harvest of new Christians is going to come, I believe, digitally and physically through the screen, and even through the front door. In fact, I want to tell you, give you a praise report, and just tell you a screen story that happened to us, and, and this individual gave us permission. It's a story about Ray, and it really is the story of how he came through the screen in, in a relationship with Jesus. A few weeks ago, one of our team members connected with a man named Ray, who texted, like we say at the end of every message, texted 51,000. Ray poured out his heart after we contacted him to follow up about his life and his failing marriage. He then mentioned that his sister had been telling him about Jesus for years and inviting him to church. In fact, Ray then stopped and asked the volunteer, maybe you know who my sister is, mentions her name 
and all of a sudden the, the, the worker goes, that your sister is on our team. Of course we know her. It was incredible. After almost two hours of conversations, think about this. He just texted 51,000. Ray blurts out, I'm going to call my sister now and see if she can baptize me in her bathtub. It's exactly what happened. In, in, a, in a group text, his, sent, his sister sent that Ray was rushing over there to be baptized. And not only that, Ray's sister is walking her brother that she's been praying for, sharing the gospel with, through the, and his next steps is now joining a connect group. And our team is following up with him regularly. Behind every number that is texted, 51,000 is a person. And every person has a name. His name was Ray. And every name has a miracle story that's about to happen. I have to tell you, this brought such joy to my heart. I feel this is one of the most important messages to get not only Times Square Church ready, but I believe the church ready for who is going to be coming through the doors. Whether the net is the internet and digital Christians like Ray, who texts in 51,000 and all of a sudden is baptized in a bathtub, or maybe they're going to be simply the in-person, in-the-building Christians that people are being delivered from addictions. Either way, the present-day church is going to be worshiping, listen now, is going to be worshiping next to people that they are going to start to feel uncomfortable with. Because I believe an unprepared church for what God is getting ready to do by way of an influx of new salvations, an unprepared church is really could become a judgmental church because the next harvest is not going to look like church people. The church is about to change with the next wave of harvest that is coming. And I believe this with all my heart, an understanding of Romans 14 and 15 is a key for handling the end time harvest. A harvest of souls, listen, is always a disruption for the status quo and for the comfortable in the church. Romans 14 through 15 gives the church a challenge that was a huge hurdle in the first century and will be a huge hurdle today. This is some of the most powerful passages to get us ready for what God is getting ready to do, I believe, in our city, in our country, and around the world. I want to read this to you because it's what the first century church needed. I believe we need it today too. Here's what Paul said. He said, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength or the weak and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written, and we're going to come to this verse 4 a little bit later on, in earlier times was written for our instruction. He's talking about the Old Testament. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, the Old Testament, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is a very important verse. Listen to it. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ has accepted us to the glory of God. Paul describes, this is, this is key to this passage. Paul describes Two kinds of people in this new church that has just been birthed in Acts chapter two. Here it is. He said, there's gonna be the strong 
and there's going to be the weak. It will be a church of the weak and the strong. And what Paul does is say that the strong are going to have the biggest weight of responsibility with this new harvest that will be coming in. It will be a church of strong and weak, even today, I believe, like it was in the first century. See, back then, the Jewish Christians had strong religious roots. And this influx of the Gentile Christians, the, those baptized in bathtubs and, and rivers and, and not like the Jewish-rooted Christians that had, a, that, that had a, a, a monotheistic background, but the Gentile Christians were new converts with no religious roots, but they felt like they came in with a lot of baggage. But let me just say this. We all have baggage. And sometimes, get this, religious baggage is the worst kind of baggage. I, I, I want to just emphasize that. In fact, that's really what even Paul was challenging these, these Jewish Christians who were supposed to be the strong because they still had their religious baggage on what, what days to observe. He talks about this in Romans 14 and 15. What meats were prohibited in eating, what ceremonies we still do. And they were trying to impose them on the new believers and judging some of them for not doing it. See, this is exactly, bear with me now, what happened even during the Jesus movement in the 60s and the 70s, when all of these, these young kids from the streets, what then were called hippies, were getting saved and they were flooding into the church. It started on the West Coast and one of the churches that God used there was Calvary Chapel and, and the great pastor Chuck Smith and felt with this influx of brand new Christians, the weak, he felt like there was two things that were, that were starting there. He, that he had to start with verse by verse teaching the Bible to these, to these brand new Christians. Um, and, and I believe we're even getting ready to come back to that. Then worship music, the Maranatha was birthed out of there. People were, were beginning to get the word and worship. And I'm telling you, they were even being baptized in pools and oceans, the Pacific Ocean, because churches wouldn't accept them. Time Magazine did a whole front cover called The Jesus Revolution. It started with a generation of young people, listen now, who were fed up with politics of what was happening with the, with, with the war and a number of other things and Watergate. They saw the dead end of drugs and addiction and, and the dead end of a society that was, was telling them to have free sex and found Jesus being the only answer to their lives. And literally hundreds of thousands came into the kingdom and were born again. Ministries and churches were birthed across America. In fact, David Wilkerson played a huge role in preaching there um, to many of those that were getting saved and, and born again. And I believe that the next wave that God is sending to our country is not hundreds of thousands, but I believe millions through the method of technology that millions are going to be born again who are dissatisfied with the same exact things. <laughs> not only the, the drugs and the only answer politicians have is legalization, them being fed up with politics and what's happening all, all, all in, in DC and even sexual freedom realizing all of these things are dead end except one person and that's Jesus himself. And Paul was getting the church ready, as I believe we have to get ready, that most of the strong in the church didn't want the weak in their building. He didn't, they didn't want them there. And the challenge that Paul was giving them, he was speaking to the strong and saying, we've got to be careful of what our attitude is. Here, in fact, here is Paul's challenge 
to the strong. Here it is. It, it, it comes so clearly. He says, therefore, that's, this, this is the summing up of what Paul is doing in Romans 14 and 15. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ has accepted us to the glory of God. That th- those, I have to tell you, those just as Christ challenges and verses in the Bible, they're simple. They're, 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 they are just so forthright, but they are like sledgehammers to the soul. Let me, let me give you one. Let me remind you how intense these are. Remember this one? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. Here it comes, just as Christ. Same thing that Paul did in Romans 15.7. He does here in Ephesians 5.25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That just as Christ, man, just comes and wreaks havoc with the soul because you're going like, this is huge what God is asking us to do. I, I pray that Ephesians 5.25 verse every single night with Cindy, the just as Christ verse that I, I always pray over our marriage. God help me to love my wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This, this is, and then Paul here gives the challenge to the strong in, in this brand new church and says, with these new Christians that are coming in, I want you to accept them. Here it comes. Just as Christ has accepted us. See, I believe that the church that is coming will look like this first century church and the strong, those that know Christ, must get ready to accept the weak. In fact, I wanna just say it this way. The strong must be strong for the weak or I'm telling you, the, the strong will eventually be the weak in the church and in the body of Christ. The strong must be strong for the weak. And that's the challenge, accepting those that don't quite look like us. I, I learned a brand new word two weeks ago. I, I was reading a book. I didn't even think the word existed. I thought it was made up. Let, let me read it to you. It's the word latitudinarian. I, some of you are going like, Pastor Tim, what in the world? Latitudinarian is a word that just... I I thought of that word for this passage. It actually means allowing latitude in religion. In fact, the word, the Latin word it comes from is a word for breathing, breath. And it means giving breathing room. Instead of quickly jumping to to, to being judgmental, it's going, let there be growth. Because when you don't, when you don't accept people, we can jump, jump to, to, to criticism, being judgmental, Instead, instead of allowing room, breathing room for the weak to even grow. That's why I love the verse. I love the verse prior to the just as Christ verse, to the, to the verse that says, just as Christ, accept one of the just as Christ accepted you. Because in that verse, just prior to it, Paul is believing for us that we would have patience and encouragement. So we, Paul was saying, the strong and the weak, can be one voice together. Listen to what he says in 15, five, before we get to seven. May God who gives this patience, patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other. That's weak and strong as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then if you do that, with if you have that patience that, help, that, that, that he's talking about, then all of you can join together with one voice. Thank God giving praise and glory to God. 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since you're going to do that, you'll have the patience and encouragement to live in complete harmony and be of one voice. Therefore, I'm asking you to accept each other just as Christ accepted you to the glory of God the Father. This is so important. And, and I love what the Apostle Paul does because the Apostle is challenging the strong, the religious people about weak Gentiles. He does something very powerful after this in verse eight. I, I don't want you to miss this because I think it's important for the strong to hear. He quotes four Old Testament passages. He goes, and, and Paul is brilliant here. He takes four passages from the law, two from the Psalms and the prophets. That's a big phrase. Whenever you hear law, Psalms and prophets, that, that's a lock. That means, man, this is in. And listen to what the apostle Paul says. He says, if you don't believe what's, what, what's happening in the, in the church is, is from the Lord, he says, let me tell you that this was already prophesied thousands of years before. Listen to what, what Paul says. Right after he says, therefore, accept one another, listen to what he says. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. In verse nine, he also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them, that what the psalmist meant when he wrote, here it comes, for this I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praises to your name. And then, then the Apostle Paul goes, let me quote another one. In another place it is written, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, third verse that he gives from the, from the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And Paul then goes in verse 12, and in another place, Isaiah said, this is his fourth reference to the scriptures, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope on him. Verse 13, then Paul goes, and I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you see what the apostle Paul just did? He's prophesying, He's, he's reading the prophets and the Psalms and the law of the salvation of the Gentiles that are about to come in as a harvest into this brand new church. It's the, it's the prophecy of the beginning of the church that it's going to be strong and weak, Jew and Gentile. And Paul goes, I'll even give you scriptural background for it and scriptural um, uh, a foundation for it. See, Paul not only gives a challenge to them about, say, about, about accepting them, these new believers that are coming in, but he also has a prayer for them. The challenge was this, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. But here's the prayer that he gives. We read it. Let me read it to you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will, I love these next words, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he gives this challenge to accept, but then this prayer to abound in hope for what's ahead. The harvest is going to make the church messy, but it's also gonna make the church powerful. That's why this is so important. If you have a church only of strong people and not accepting the weak, then the strong eventually become the weak. They become the religious. The, it becomes the hypocrisy. In fact, their strength turns into hypo hypocrisy and even exclusivity. Listen, and the church then is no longer the church, but becomes an exclusive club. 
that you have to be strong to join it. You have to look like us to join it. You have to wear our colors. You have to do it like this. See, God created the church to be strong and weak. And, and to abound in hope is what the prayer was. I, I, I read this. This is what brought hope to me. In fact, abounding hope to me. I was reading the description of the church that a local pastor in the Midwest was giving. He attended a Rotary Club meeting. All the businessmen in town were there. And, and because while they were there, they asked each of the attendees, 20, 30 people of these men said, would you stand up and tell us your name, where you're from and what you do, what's your occupation? And the minister in this little small Midwest town stood up to tell everyone that he was a pastor of a church, but he decided to tell something a little bit different about the church about this most amazing organization in the world, filled with the strong and the weak, a church getting ready for the harvest. This is what the pastor said. Best description I've heard of God's church. He said this, I'm with a global enterprise. We have branches in every country in the world. We have representatives in nearly every parliament and boardroom on earth. We're into motivation and behavior alteration. We run hospitals, feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. We care for our clients from birth to death. We are into life insurance and fire insurance. We perform spiritual heart transplants. Our original organizer owns all the real estate on earth, plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everything, lives everywhere, and our product is free for the asking. There's not even enough money to buy it. And then he closes with this. Our CEO was born in a tiny town, worked as a carpenter, didn't own a home, was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies, walked on water, condemned to death without a trial, rose from the dead, and I talk with him every day. I love that. My heart abounds in hope knowing that I'm part of that church. Not a church of the strong, but a church of the strong and the weak. A church that says we accept one another and we abound in hope towards those people. It's amazing to me because it seems that when you read the life of Jesus, that carpenter that created the the galaxies and the planets, that created you and me, that when you read the life of Jesus, the worst people are more at ease around Jesus than the religious people. He, he He felt more comfortable or the weak felt more comfortable and the strong around Jesus. That's why Jesus got chilly responses from even the religious crowd. The Gospels mention eight dinner parties Jesus was invited to. Only three of them were friends. The other five were sinners to come to, his, to, to, to their house to eat. And what a, what a night of dinner it was to have Jesus there. Jesus went after everyone because everyone was important to him. And this is what I realized Jesus never met a disease that he could not cure, a birth defect he could not reverse, and a demon he could not deliver and exercise. But what was amazing was, but he did meet the religious that he couldn't convince. Wow. I don't don't want the strong to become weak. It's the strong ministering to the weak. That's the challenge from Romans 14 and 15. That's why, as Charles Spurgeon said, the local church really is the hope of the world and what's coming. And that hope of the world, I am so excited, Times Square Church. We are, we, Cindy and I cannot wait for the reopening on September 12th, when finally the doors, after some 18 months, is finally opened right here on 51st and Broadway. And I believe we are going to start seeing, as the doors are opened up, coming through screen and front door, the weak and the strong. 
coming into this building. The weak and the strong that, that, that come into this place. I'm telling you, it's happening already. But here's, I, I want to challenge you, Times Square Church. The strong have two challenges to accept one another and the prayer is abound in hope. Let me read those again. Accept one another and to abound in hope. What's the hope? That the, that the strong, that the weak are going to grow and begin to become strong one day. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in order to have a harvest, sometimes you, have, you need a dirty barn. That's what Solomon said. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 14, 4. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for large harvest. Or the NIV puts it like this. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. It means there is no harvest. But from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. That's, that, that's why I'm willing for us to deal with dirt for the harvest that's coming. Get ready. I'm just telling you, folks. Get ready for a church that gets a little dirt in it because of that. That's why I think the author, John Newton of Amazing Grace, said it best. He says, I'm not, this is, this is, the, this is who's coming. I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. See, the moment we're born again, we are all part of that group. Not what I want to be, what I hope, but not what I hope to be, but not what I used to be. So that's why the good news is that the week one day, if we do our job, bound in hope, accept one another. I'm telling you, the good news is this. The weak become strong to help the weak one day in their own life. That's why I want to tell you a story today. I want to tell you a story from 2 Kings and tell you what I mean by this phrase. Listen to it. I may have dirt, but I'm not dirty. I may have dirt, but I'm not dirty. Remember what Paul said in that Romans 15 passage? He said, if you want to understand this, he says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. He already gave four Old Testament passages to show a brand new influx that this is not a Jewish Christian church. This is, this is a church for every person that, that Romans 14 and 15 was telling us. That's why he gives those four passages. But he says, whatever is written for our instructions, that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And 2 Kings 5 is an Old Testament story of instruction, like this verse says, and encouragement so that we may abound with that kind of hope. It's a story of the strong and the weak. It's a story of accepting one another. It's a story of, of some dirt the person's not dirty. And I'm, I want you to see this. And it's a story where a prophet was encouraging the dirty manger for the harvest that, would, that he believed was even going to come to the nation of Syria. There are two people in this story. One is a general and one is a prophet. Naaman is a Syrian army general who is going to get healed. But, but, but the after story is amazing. Elisha is the prophet in Israel. Naaman has just been healed of leprosy by Elisha. You, some of you may remember the story in 2 Kings 5 by dipping into the Jordan River seven times. There's a whole backstory of this, but that's not what I want to deal with. It, it was not just a healing moment for Naaman, but it was a conversion moment for him. He just didn't get healed of leprosy. Naaman found the real God, the true God. That's where I want to start with his statement after the healing came of leprosy. Listen to 2 Kings 5.15. He says, when he returned to the man of God with all of his company, he came and stood before him and said, behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. He found God. He found the true God. So please take a present from your servant now. And listen to what he said. But he said, 
as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. But he urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. But here's what Naaman said. If not, please let your servant at least be given. This is very interesting. He's about to leave and go back to Syria. Two mules loads of earth for your servant. And he says, will no longer, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. He found God. And in this matter, may the Lord, you got to get this now, pardon your servant when my master, his job, goes into the house of Ryman to worship there. And he leans on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Ryman. When I bow myself in the house of Ryman, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. I, I, I want us just to pause here because this is amazing. This is the weak with the strong. This is, this is Elisha the strong with Naaman the weak, the new convert. This is Naaman coming from the streets, the, the addict coming in. This is the, the, the ray just getting baptized in a bathtub. Now it's, it's the strong and the weak. We have him face to face. And according to Romans 15, 4, let's get in some encouragement. Let's get some instruction from this passage. Here it comes. Now remember, when God saves us, it is a complete salvation. You're, ne- you're not half saved you're completely saved. When you trust your life to God, when you are born again, it's all in. And though we are saved, doesn't mean we're perfect. But salvation is the starting line of growth. Naaman has a salvation, a God moment that is life-changing for him. Now remember, salvation doesn't mean perfect. It's the starting line for growth. I'm completely saved. Let me say it like this. Even though I may not be complete in, in, in certain areas of my life. And here is his salvation um, verse after the leprosy. He, sa- he says it. Behold, now I know there's no other God in all the earth, but right here. He met him. And this is what's incredible. Naaman worshiped the God of the, in, in his land, in Syria, God Ryman, but started to realize he has a temple, he has a statue, but his God doesn't do healing. His God can't fix leprosy. His God can't change his life. But on the other side of the Golan Heights, there is a God who does stuff that my idol can't even do. And Naaman met that God. The the weak just walk through the doors of, of the church when he meets Elijah. Now watch what happens after his come to God moment. I want to read this again. Listen to it. Naaman said, if, it, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. And in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ryman to worship there. This is this, and he leans on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Ryman. When I bow myself in the house of Ryman, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. This is interesting. And I, I have to just give you just quick background. He wants dirt from Israel to bring back. Why? Because that culture, that time, those Syrians believed in territorial gods that that lived in in nature, that lived in the soil there. So if if he can go back to Syria, he wanted to take two mule loads of dirt that says, I brought the God of Israel back with me. He thinks that, that the gods live in, in, in the creation itself, instead of thinking how big God is, but, but he's weak. He's just figuring this out. He's just getting it. He just became, he just became a God believer in the God of Israel. 
And he's asking for dirt, but he's clean in his heart. And then second, this is incredible. He tells them about his job description in Syria. He says, I take my master in the temple of Ryman and I'll have to bow down but in my, because, because it's my job, but I know in my heart God is real. He says, so please pardon me. I, I, I don't mean it, but he says, but that's what I'm paid to do. Now the new convert is not only caught, but what does Elisha do? Years of idolatry next to a real encounter with the living God. This is what is incredible, folks. This is incredible. This is the weak and the strong. This is encouragement for us, Romans 15, 4. Elisha's response is incredible. Here's what it says in verse 19. Listen to his three words. Verse 19, go in peace. He asked for two mule loads of dirt and said, I, I may have to do this at my job, but you got to, let me read that again. Verse 19, go in peace. He didn't make, his face didn't wince going, oh, I thought you really trusted God. He didn't rebuke him. This is Elisha. He didn't, he didn't go like, let's do a teaching session on this. But says to him, this is the strong to the weak. Go in peace. He was telling him, just because you have dirt, two mule loads of dirt, doesn't mean you're dirty. Just because, just because you haven't got it yet, doesn't mean you're not, that you don't have it. This is incredible. Elisha seems confident that Naaman is on the right track and he's going to finish well. Naaman seems to know. This is, I like this because he's, Naaman seems to know that there's something wrong with bowing down or he wouldn't have said, pardon me. His foundation is, now I know there's no God in all of Israel. That's true, except this one. I, I, I want to pause for a moment because I want you to hear. I want to say this to the strong. Strong, I, I have a couple words for you. I want you to listen. I believe that the new creation, that's what the Bible calls being born again. The new creation is like the first creation. Do you remember what happened on day one in Genesis 1? God said these words, let there be light, and then something else happened. I want to read it to you. This is what it says. Then God said, verse 3, Genesis 1, let there be light, and there was light. There's a God. God exists. Then God saw that the light was good. He got it. Now watch this. And then God separated the light from the darkness. Did you see it? People will see the light and then God says, I've got another work. Let me start separating the light from the darkness. See, here's a word for us strong. I want, I want, to, I want to challenge the strong today because of what God is getting ready to do as doors open up on September 12th. As God begins to do something, both screen and front door, I have, I have a word for the strong. Number one, have faith in God and let's stop being God. If God got Naaman this far, God's going to get him all the way. Go in peace, Naaman, is what he says. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. God is, I realize this, God is more committed to people than I am. And, and, and that's what I love. Go in peace. I know you have two sacks of dirt. You have dirt, but you're not dirty. You, 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 met, you met the living God. Here's the second thing. I don't need people to look like us. We need people to look like Jesus. I don't need the weak to be me. I need the weak to be strong in Jesus. That's why you don't come to Jesus strong. We all come weak. We don't, we, we all come with, with all of our junk and everything else. And that's why God is looking for a church today. 
that accepts one another, that abounds in hope that God's going to get people all the way and do his work. That's why I want to challenge people. We don't bring our fixed up self to God, but we bring our broken self to God. We come with everything. We come with all of our hangups and we come with all of our, our, our addictions. We come with everything. We come with our broken marriages and our broken hearts. See, you don't get good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you good. Or as one man said, he said it like this. He said, Jesus says, I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to let you stay that way. See, that's why we don't come to Jesus strong. We all come weak. We all come with our, our weak hearts, our weak minds, our weak souls, our weak marriages, our weak um, desire, all of it. And today, I truly believe that God is wanting to take some and that, that the Bible calls, if we don't know Jesus, that we're dead on the inside, make them alive and do an amazing work inside of them. But you've, you've realized, man, I, I don't have it together. And I'm telling you, God wants your not together life. He wants all of you. I, I, I read this article that the toughest school in the United States to get into, not, nothing against them, it's just the toughest school to get into, is now Stanford University in, in, uh, on the West Coast. The, the university recently updated, I was reading the article, updated their admission standards and stated that only 5% of applying students ever accepted. They said just before COVID, they had over 42,000 students applied and about 2,000 got in. Uh, think of that. And they said on their website, they give students realistic answers. They said, what is the academic standard? This is the number one question. What is the academic standard to be accepted? Just like Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Here's what it is. An ACT score of 33 or higher will put you in the top 50 percentile of applicants. However, the average score for accepted students, the 2,000, you have to have a 35. Do you understand that the perfect score is the 36? Accepted students will also need an SAT score of 1520, which 1600 is a perfect score. And then this one got me. You need a GPA of 4.18. 4.0 is an A, is A's. They want 4.18 plus a robust resume of extracurricular activities, leadership qualities, references, and recommendations. This is what the article said. In conclusion, no offense, Stanford. In conclusion, if you want to get into standard, Stanford, you better be perfect or amazing. Thank God he's not Stanford. Thank God that you don't have to be amazing to come into the, to come into the family of God. Thank God you don't have to have it all together and be a 4.18 to have an incredible resume. People think God is Stan Stanford and only accept the strong. I am telling you, God wants us, our, our broken selves. See, that's why, listen close, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. It's a, it's, it's, it's a hospital. We're all broken. And some are, are finding life and strength the more we walk with Jesus. But I'm telling you, listen, perfect people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people go to heaven. And Christianity starts with forgiveness. The journey, the journey on the road to heaven starts with being born again. And that's why I have to tell you, I, I love, and I have, some of you need to hear this, I love what author Brennan Manning says, he says this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to God, to, to get my resume all together so God would love me. He said, God loves you unconditionally as you 
are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. Thank God. Thank God. That's why he says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. It's the challenge for the church, but let's not miss that he accepts you, whatever condition that you're in today. See, that's why Christianity does not work without Christ. If you leave Christ out of it and you think it's church and you think it's a building and if you think it's a a, a christening or a, a, um, a baptism or a communion, you've left Christ out of it. I, I am accepted in God the beloved because of Christ and his work. Because that's the, the, it's, the, it's the most important question I can, I can ever ask you. Ha, have you. Have you been born again? Have you entered into a relation with God? And some of you are already going like, I, I don't have the resume. I, I, I've never been baptized. I've never had communion. I've never been to church. I'm watching this because someone sent me. Like, Let me just tell you, you, you don't need a resume to come to God. He accepts you. He loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family. But you have to start somewhere. And Jesus said this. He uses the word, you have to be born again. Pastor Tim, what does that mean? Jesus was saying, just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Though all those other things are good. I go to church. My family's religious. I'm a good person. All those things are good. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, whatever your background is, Whatever, whatever you felt like you've messed up and, and have been broken and, and, and you, you, you are trying to get good and so, you, so God would love you. I'm telling you, none of that works. He wants to change you right now and it can all start today by being born again. You, you, you can experience a miracle today. You may have dirt. You may have two mule loads of dirt on you today. And I'm gonna tell you, but you can go in peace today. Because God can begin to give you a clean heart. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? When Jesus says in John 3, 3, that no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born again. I, I want to make it as simple as I can. And this is, this is what, what I believe makes it as simple. It's, it's as simple as ABC. Taking those three letters that we would tell to a first grader. You have to learn your ABCs. Each one of those letters apply, I, I believe, to, to the way to seeing God come in and change everything. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner, that I am broken. I, don't, I, I, I can't apply enough of uh, spiritual cosmetics to make God like me anymore. It's when I get honest with God that all of us, myself included, have a condition called sin and I can't fix it. I, I, I don't have enough, of, I don't have enough to, to fix it with a promise, going to a program, a priest or a pastor. We need help to fix it. We're broken on the inside and the diagnosis is sin. And I have to admit that I'm a sinner. And then, and then it's B, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix it since I couldn't fix myself. None of us could fix ourselves. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God even have to send his own son to die on the cross for us? If I can get to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to die on the cross. But Jesus did come to become my sin bearer. He did come to do what I couldn't do for myself. He died the death that I should have died. Lived the life I had no chance of living and gave me a reward, forgiveness, heaven, a brand new life I didn't even deserve. And finally, it's confessing Jesus as Lord, saying you're in charge now. God did not send his son for 33 years to go to the cross, rise again, and and go to heaven to, to, to become our great intercessor, 
to simply tell you, you better do better. You better get a good resume. God is not Stanford. God, God accepts us in the condition that we're in. And God's goal is not to simply get you to church. His goal is to get you to eternity. Coming to, just to get you to show up at a church on Sunday, on September 12th, that's what religion wants. You gotta, you gotta do this, you gotta come here. Being born again is a relationship. It's walking with God every single day. That's why Christianity is coming to a person, not a place. So the church can be shut down for 18 months and you can still start a brand new relationship with Jesus with all the churches closed. I believe that God wants to change your life today. That just as you had a first birth, today is gonna become a second birth for you. And that can happen right now, wherever you're at. If you're here, if you're, if you're listening right now, I want you to pray a prayer with me. I want you to take the challenge today to say, I wanna take the first step. Pastor Tim, I'm not perfect exactly. None of us are. This, this, I feel like Naaman. I've got a whole bunch of stuff and sacks of dirt. That's okay. God wants to clean your heart today. And he'll start separating light from darkness. Just like he did in the first creation, he's going to do it with a new creation. But if you're wherever you're at today, whoever you are, whether you're waiting in an airport, you're in a fitness center, driving in a car, walking and listening on a, on, on a pair of um, uh, headphones to a message, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to start a brand new journey with God. I want you to, I want you to be, I want today to be your born again, your second birth date. Come on, pray this with me. If you can, pray it out loud. Say these words, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Now say it with me. Come on. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.